have to go because you're going to see something you've never seen in your life. And she drove four hours to get to the, the event that night. And she was crying. And she told me that she's in her 50s. And she had never heard a woman recite the Quran before. Ask most Muslims what you call a female Quran reciter. They will probably be struggling for words. Is this even permissible? Do I even know of any? From the time that, that children are in elementary school, they have a choice. You can take running or, you know, PE or you can take maqamat. Like... أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات كانت لهم جنات الفردوس نزلا خالدين فيها لا يبغون عنها حولا قل لو كان البحر مدادا لكلمات ربي لنفد البحر لنفد البحر قبل أن كلمات ربي ولو جئنا بمثله مددا صدق الله العظيم when was the last time you heard a woman reciting the Qur'an? Maybe it was your mother or a teacher? The translation of the verse we just heard reads, O Prophet, if the oceans were ink for writing the words of my Lord, it would certainly run out before the words of my Lord were finished, even if we refilled it with its equal. So why is it that we rarely hear God's words recited by women in public? And what about in private spaces? On this episode of the Tastier Podcast, on this first episode ever, we are going to take a look at how technology can empower female reciters and our access to them. We're joined today by our esteemed guests, Sheikha Maryam Amir, who holds a master's in education from UCLA and a second bachelor's in Islamic studies from Al-Azhar University. She studied in Egypt, memorized the Quran, and specializes in several Islamic sciences. And to add to her resume, today she's the founder of a new app called Qariya, which translates into Female Reciter. And we also have with us Ustada Zainab Ansari of Taysir Seminary, based in Knoxville, Tennessee. Ustada Zainab has spent a decade studying Farsi, Arabic, and traditional Islam. She spent time in Damascus with scholars in the 1990s. Upon her return to the U.S., she earned her degrees in History and Middle Eastern Studies from Georgia State University. And since 2014, she's been a scholar-in-residence at Taysir Foundation and a full-time instructor at Taysir Seminary where she teaches fiqh, sirah, and many other subjects. As two women immersed in Islamic scholarship, I wanted to hear about their experiences with female recitation, starting with this app, which aims to make the term Qariya mainstream and ease access to recitations from Qariyas for Muslims, particularly in the West, where there is not a culture of recitation as in many Muslim-majority countries. Here in the United States or in the UK or in so many places where the masjid is that space and we don't see women 
reciting the Quran, even for women's events or women's, you know, qiyams or women's competitions, even if we don't see that, then what are we left with other than we don't actually know that we're encouraged to seek the Quran as men are. And subhanAllah, Islamic history is just filled with women Quran reciters. And to be able to share that piece of our history with women today and be able to bring back that revival to the Quran, that's really the beginning of where the app came from. In the app, you can access a directory of dozens of female reciters from all over the world, from Malaysia to Egypt to Nigeria to the UK, and you can play their recitations in multiple qira'at or styles of recitation. When I traveled to the UK to do the speaking tour with Ustada Gina and Yusuf, who's the writer, the author of Reflecting on the Names of Allah, uh, we went through so many different cities throughout the UK, and there were hundreds of women in each city attending the events, and they had come from, some of them from hours away. And I was reciting Quran in each of the events because they were all women events, and we were praying. I was leading Maghrib, and I was reciting during the talk, and after every single event, I had so many women come up to me, and they were all different ages and every single one of them had the same story. I've never heard a woman recite the Quran before. I had no idea a woman could recite the Quran. I would have recited the Quran myself had I known it was something that was encouraged. I used to recite the Quran when I was a kid, but then I was told that as a woman, as I was entering adolescence, women shouldn't be heard by men. And so I wasn't allowed to go to Quran class anymore because the teacher was a man and he said he can't teach me. But so my brothers kept going and became hafald and I just never did. Um, so many stories from women who said that they were in their high school choir or how they loved to memorize songs, but they had never imagined actually memorizing the Quran or even reciting the Quran because they never knew that it was encouraged for a woman to do so. And there was one particular woman who told me that she had no interest in coming to any of the these events. We had actually come to her city the day before. And we had driven, so every day we were driving many hours to get to the next city. So the night prior, I had given a lecture in one city, and then we drove about four hours away, and then we gave lectures in that city. And she said that she was from the city that was four hours away, and she heard about the event, but she wasn't interested in going. And her friend went, and her friend called her and told her, you have to go because you're going to see something you've never seen in your life. And she drove four hours to get to the, the event that night. And she was crying. And she told me that she's in her 50s. And she had never heard a woman recite the Quran before. And she asked me, how can I do it? Where can I study? How can I start right now? And the fact that there were so many women from so many different backgrounds and age ranges and just realities and all of them saying that I was the very first woman they had ever heard recite the Quran shocked me. Sheikh Maryam emphasizes that the app was built by women with the intention that it would be used by other women. But some of the reciters on the app are public figures with mass followings on social media. Some are teachers of large institutions. So why is the idea of public female recitation so uncommon in the West? Ustada Zainab helps us answer this question. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله واصحابه اجمعين here i am in my 40s and it really took until this point where i'm the mother of young women that this 
Audia app is even available. I guarantee you, if you do a survey, man, woman on the street type of thing, ask most Muslims what you call a female Quran reciter. They will probably be struggling for words. Is this even permissible? Do I even know of any? And it's so interesting that within our American Muslim context, as if it's just so narrow, it's so black and white. We've not allowed for any latitude in interpreting these views. I think about my experience coming up and my mother, the women in her circle, were active, knowledgeable about their religion, uh, advocating for, for women's public participation. There was really very little conversation about women as memorizers, women as reciters, women being able to publicly recite. When I was first told to recite in public, it was from my Quran teacher, Sheikh Mahib Fulda. Sheikh Mahib, he told me I need to recite at the Quran banquet for finishing the khatam of the Quran for those who had memorized that year. And I said, Sheikh, I am a, a, a woman. I, I, that's haram. <laughs> and, and my Sheikh was so angry. And he had a picture of Sheikh Um Sa'ad in his classroom. And he said, this is Sheikh Um Sa'ad, and she has taught so many men. So Sheikh Um Sa'ad had one of the shortest chains, actually the shortest chain in the world at that time, in the early 2000s. Men and women would travel from Kuwait and Saudi and Palestine and all over to be able to study under her and to get their ijazah from her. And Sheikh Um Sa'ad's teacher was Sheikh Kerima. And it's interesting because when we know who Sheikh Kerima was, her time period, there were actually five women who were appointed to be Quran reciters on Cairo's Quran radio at the time in the early 1920s when the radio first came out. Alhamdulillah, we have a number of the recordings on the Qariya app itself. But there are so many more that were lost and that we're actively searching for. Let's go ahead and play something from Munira Abdu, one of the five female reciters who was on Cairo's airwaves in the 1920s. She was blind and would get paid half as much as the male reciters over time. She was sought after for her soulful recitation. This is Surah Al-Imran, Ayah 169. <laughs> These recitations were on the, the radio in Cairo. And before that, we have in, in a book that Sheikh Sa'adani wrote, which was endorsed by Sheikh Sha'arawi, the, the great Mufassir. Sheikh Sa'adani looks at women's recitation. He looks at all these different reciters in Egypt, but he mentions women reciters. And one of them he mentions is, is Sheikh Muhammad, who was appointed to be the court reciter by Muhammad Ali Basha in the palace. She's now buried next to Imam al-Shafi'i. May Allah have mercy on both of them. And subhanAllah, this was the late 1800s. Then, now I don't know politically, maybe or maybe not this has had an impact. This is part of the research I still wanna do. I haven't had the opportunity yet. But at some point, colonialism <laughs> happened in Egypt. And the view on women shifted with that change. And we know that so much of colonization impacted the way that Muslims saw ourselves. And we know that that impacted the way that we saw women's roles, especially taking puritanical Christian ideas from Christianity and bringing them into Muslim spaces. And we see this consistently. When, when Muslim scholars took from Greek philosophy, we see the impact that it had on the texts of, of Muslims. We see the policy impact that that had when Muslims who were 
philosophers became rulers and the way that impacted the educational system for women and the doors that were closed when before women used to be active scholars in those regions. So subhanAllah, we actively can see how politics have impacted rulings. And I'm not suggesting that these rulings have not been made from much prior. And inshallah, I'll talk about that in a minute. But my point is just to simply say that women were public reciters in Egypt at this time. And when Azhar passed the fatwa that women should can no longer be on public radio in Egypt, um, there's a sheikh named Sheikh al arinain and he used to recite on the radio with Sheikh Munira Abdu and Sheikh Sakina Hassan and all of the other women reciters. He was a contemporary of Sheikh Abdul Basit. And his response to this, when he heard the fatwa from Azhar, he said that my mind will never rest until women become Quran reciters on Cairo's radio as they used to be in the golden era of Egypt. And subhanAllah for me, reading how the change happened, like this was in the mid-1940s, or maybe like 1930s, 1940s. Now, Dar al-Iftat has the fatwa of permissibility for women to recite publicly. So this has been changed. But they have a caveat, which is that it shouldn't be a fitna when it's better for her not to do so that she doesn't. Dar al-Iftat, Jordan has the same fatwa, basically. For context, Dar al-Iftat is an Egyptian governmental body that delivers fatwas on everyday issues. And we see the same thing all the way from the time of Imam al-Bujayrimi and Ibn Muflah al-Maqdisi. This is like 1100s, uh, maybe like, can't remember the exact time period, 800s, 700s, Hijra, like after Hijra. Like this is a long time ago that these scholars are addressing whether or not a woman can be heard by men when she's reciting. And Imam al-Bujayrimi, for example, it's so fascinating because the way that his speech addresses men hearing her is that he, he says that if, if, if a man, oh, taladhud, what is taladhud? It's not, oh, she has a nice voice. No, it's being like physically attracted, like really to the next level. If he's hearing a woman's recitation, he is so anatomically affected by her recitation. It's haram for him to listen. And if it's not, fala, he says it's not. Like this is many centuries ago that we have from the Shafi'i school, this statement. ووصينا الإنسان بوالديه حملته أمه وهنا على وهن وفصاله في عامين أنشكر لي ولوالديك إلي المصير Remember the recitation we heard at the beginning of this podcast? That and this clip we just heard are from Farah Shushu, a 22-year-old philosophy and world religion major from Morocco. She's one of the many reciters featured on the Qari'a app. Uh, here in Morocco, it's very common. Uh, girls go to the mosques and learn how to recite Quran and learn about maqamat. My teachers were always pushing me to participate in local competitions. And alhamdulillah, I always win the, the first prize. I managed to participate in uh, like national competitions and international competitions as the time passes i like managed to improve my voice more and more and alhamdulillah all the competitions like i have taken part in i always uh win the first prize or the second 
Alhamdulillah. I decided to like create my my own platform on Instagram and Facebook, and then uh, I came up with a with an idea of like making my own videos. It's through her social media presence that she was recognized and asked to be included in the Qari'a app. Farah has been studying the Quran since she was six. Her dad would take her to classes, and at some point she discovers her talent for reciting. She recognizes that women in some countries don't have it as easy as she did, and she hopes to foster an international community of female reciters by teaching classes over Zoom and holding competitions online. This is also where Qari'a comes in. The app is rekindling many women's relationship with the Quran, often strained by societal expectations and norms. There have been multiple women who've messaged me sharing their story of being a young teen, being 12, 13, 14, and enjoying reciting the Quran, loving reciting the Quran, and then being told by the imam that he can no longer teach her because she's becoming older, and so she stopped reciting. And you know, the Qur'an is not just, as we all know, it's not just a book you recite. It's a book of transformation. So what happened, and it's, subhanAllah, these women have the same stories. Even though they're different women in different time periods, these women are now in their 30s and their 40s. One of them is in her early 20s. Um, they shared with me that they were so hurt and they were so angry that they just stopped reciting. They felt like this had been a space for them. And then they were told, no, actually, for a woman, it's not. And the idea as an adult that the imam could have found her to be a fitna at 12 or 13, as an adult, it was really hurtful for her to reprocess. And so these are women who told me that for the first time in decades, they've opened the Quran again. They are starting to pray again. And that, that shift is, is, is quite palpable. Because when you have a young mother who's only singing bedtime lullabies to her child decide that, no, I, I actually want to recite the Qur'an for my child, that's going to impact that child's connection with Qur'an. When we say, you know, we need to close the store because, you know, there could be one or two or five men who are uncomfortable, we are effectively saying that a man's, di a man's discomfort is, is more important than women knowing that the Qur'an is accessible for them. I just truly believe that if we can honor our brothers, we can honor our, our male teachers. All of my teachers have been men, practically 99.9% .9 of them. 99% of the advisors that I spoke to about the app before I started it were men. We can honor them and appreciate and love our brothers while at the same time creating those spaces for women to have that connection as well. So the, the app has gone through many iterations before it came out. And one of the intentions of the app was to show the diversity of the ummah and having women from all different backgrounds. And that was so critical. And at the same time, it was so critical to have a woman recite with proper tajweed and proper recitation. And so we have a group of judges who screen every single qariya and some of the qariya screen every single recitation they put up. And before we had all of this in place, I had been... Um, approaching qariyas everywhere. I, the search the search for finding women in different countries was like messaging the most random accounts. Like, you live in this country. Do you know someone? Do you know someone who knows someone? And in the process, I started realizing that there is a vast difference between someone who recites the Quran because she's memorized it for herself and someone who has been in a culture where women's public recitation is encouraged. And I know we keep going back to the idea of public recitation, even though the app is for women. 
But the idea of women being encouraged to be public reciters, you can tell when it's been an art that a woman has been practicing since she was three or four or five versus me who started at like 17 and who's just been struggling and, and trying my best to copy men reciters. I, for example, have a very harsh recitation and it's because I'm trying to mimic the vocals of my, you know, my amazing male teachers and the amazing Qurra who are men. May Allah have mercy on all of them who've passed and those bless those who are alive versus these Qariyas from Indonesia, Singapore, Morocco, Algeria. I mean, mashallah, their recitation, Nigeria, their recitation, Kenya, I mean, Allahu Akbar, their recitation is like, it's an art. It's not just a recitation. It is an entire art, tabarakallah. And when you, when you see that, for me, that was the first time I realized, yes, of course, the representation of women being reciters. Yes, of course, the representation of women seeing women so that they want to be reciters too. All of that. But also reciting as if the verses were revealed, reciting as if you feel the verses of hell and feel the verses of paradise. It's so different from reciting because I'm working on my memorization and my review. And that was something that became very apparent to me in the process of listening to different applicants who submitted recitations for us. Just subhanAllah, the, the vast discrepancy. And it's not fair. That was something I grappled with. How can I judge someone who doesn't have that culture in the same way as someone who does? It's not fair to make that judgment call when they haven't had the same opportunities and experiences. And that's why part of the app we work with some of the Qariyas who are working with other Qariyas to only upload what they would have been approved. It's just because we don't want to close that door simply because someone hasn't had that same access and they were being raised. It's just so, so tangible. The difference between someone who has been practicing as a sport, as, you know, Sheikha Atika Suhaimi, she's a reciter on the app from Singapore. She's also an Azhari graduate. She was saying how from the time that that children are in elementary school, they have a choice. You can take running or, you know, PE, or you can take maqamat. Like, girls are offered that as an option from the time they're very young. And being able to practice those skills from the time you're very young, of course, is going to impact the way you recite as an adult. And subhanAllah, just the, the different timbers that their voice can reach are so different from me, who's been trying on my own with a teacher over and over. It's so different, subhanAllah. And I think for me, that was one of the, the biggest revelations that I had in, in this experience, just realizing how multifaceted, how deep-rooted the idea of women being reciters in a big way, the whole culture surrounding it. I mean, then, then you have reciters who are teachers. You have reciters who are paid to be reciters on television. It's a career. And of course, we don't seek the Quran for money. But if you need to support your family and all you've ever wanted to do is recite the Quran and be a Quran reciter, it's an option. Instead of, you know, many of us who came back from overseas and then said, what are we going to do with what we studied now? We just had no idea where to go with it as women. So I was looking at Tibyan fi Adab Harat al-Quran by Sheikh Imam Nawawi. And this is the beautiful book on etiquette with the Quran. So, and there are so many discussions on the virtues of reciting the Quran, reciting alone or in a group with a raised voice. And, you know, for us as women to, that we should be kind of precluded from the blessings and opportunities of raising our voices with the book of Allah. I mean, I, I really want us to think about why do we think that we cannot recite Quran with happiness, with passion, with exuberance? Where is this coming from? I remember for the first time in my life, 
witnessing the exuberance of women was in Damascus. They would, women would recite beautifully. They would do the anashid and qasaid. And there's this beautiful song. I mean, that is, and of course, I don't have a voice for singing, but the point is, is that I remember just from decades ago that that song and the way that the women would sing that particular nasheed, uh, that uh, means I am literally knocking on the door of hope and longing uh, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was a beautiful song. And I remember thinking, what a desert we're coming from in the United States, because we were just so kind of disconnected from our kind of creative, aesthetic, artistic uh, selves because of the interpretations of Islamic law that sadly have been imposed on us. And I, and I just want to leave us with this thought that while we don't have, you know, we don't, we can't, at least to my limited knowledge, I don't, I don't know if there's a section of hadith books that tell us how the woman had to, what we mean recited. I wish we had those hadith. We, again, we have to read between the lines. We know that Sayyidah Hafsa was the keeper of the Quran. We know that they, that she memorized the Quran. We know that Ummu Salama knew the Quran. Sayyidah Aisha knew the Quran. There's a, a beautiful anecdote that Shaykh Zainab Alwani, uh, Jazakallah Khaira, is writing on Sayyidah Aisha. And she said that there are numerous occasions where men would come to Sayyidah Aisha, misquoting the Prophet, peace be upon him. Sayyidah Aisha would respond. She'd correct them. She'd say, no, this is not what the Prophet said, alayhi salatu wasalam. And then in response, she would recite to them the Quran. So we have these anecdotes. We have women using their voices to actually correct the record about our beloved Prophet We have these narrations of women like Umm Haritha uh, and, and how she she memorized Surah Qaf just by listening to the Prophet The homes in Medina were, they didn't have like concrete walls. They were, they were reciting in their homes. They were reciting out loud in their homes. They were teaching their children. They were practicing their Quran. And there's a narration of the Prophet walking past a home in Medina and hearing a woman recite Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim and the Prophet saying, Naam, qad atani. Uh, and the Prophet being very emotional by hearing that. And I mean, the Prophet is a legislator of law. He would have had to say it's haram for a woman to recite in her home loudly in case her voice spills out to the street. Some, some scholars say that she was an older woman and so that might impact the fiqh. But the point is we don't have clear narrations that it's prohibited. Much of the debate regarding female recitation goes back to an ayah in Surah Ahzab. This is 3333. So the context of this ayah is very important because often people just want to take this one ayah. They're going to interpret it such that by virtue of this ayah, now women's voices are all suspect. And now women have to be silenced. Number one, we're, the issue is not so much the woman and her voice. The issue is the man and the man in that context and how he's receiving her voice, what agenda he might have. And then the following ayah, and stay in your homes and do not uh, be on display as, um, as, as women were wont to display themselves during jahiliya. That's very, very important. A woman who is reciting Quran for educational purposes, to inspire, to edify, to educate, 
to follow the sunnah of the Prophet, peace be upon him, cannot be likened to a woman that is making some type of inappropriate display of herself. Because the ayah tells us very clearly that what the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen, what they are being told to do is to make sure that in their public comportment, they are distinguishing themselves from the way that women used to behave during jahiliyyah. Women during jahiliyyah often had their uh, chests exposed, their cleavage exposed. They behaved in a very kind of, a kind of seductive manner. They used a very kind of um, sultry voice. They were often kind of bedazzled and bejeweled and displayed in public. Um, prostitution was, was rife during the age of jahiliyyah. So these are all things that we have to keep in mind. That the, the idea behind the revelation of the hijab verse, the idea of the Ummahat al-Mu'mineen not being accessible to, to all the male visitors who are coming to see the Prophet the idea behind the command to, to modulate the voice, it's not to silence the woman and, you know, again, kind of place her in a place where she's neither seen nor heard, but it's actually to empower her to safely step into that public sphere. So we really need to ask ourselves, you know, again, why this kind of attempt to correlate between the uh, the woman's voice and temptation. And are we doing our daughters a service or a disservice when we do this? I think we're doing them a disservice because now we're telling them that you can't even recite an ayah in public, least somebody have some type of inappropriate thought. Well, that that's on that man. That's not on the woman. Consistently, when we see like scholars address this and say it's haram, when you look at why they say it's haram, it goes back to an ayah in the Quran addressing the mothers of the believers, telling them, this particular uh, order and the particular order is now what that means has often been translated to do not be uh you know do not speak out loudly but when you look at what classical scholars of tafsir have said they mention like for example qatada is talking about for the, who are these people that you should be aware of your speech to it's those who have muddled in their heart so Qatada says that's hypocrisy. Zemakhshari, he was a linguistic scholar. I know he was from, uh, you know, different. But he talks about not sounding like a prostitute. And all of that implies and entails. Ikrima said the same thing. He said flirtation. Al-Tabari mentioned so that mothers, the mothers of the believers do not speak to men in a way that women who are Ahlul Fahisha would speak. I mean, this is not talking about Qur'an. How can we even how can we even see that this is a woman reciting the Quran when the classical scholars of Tafsir understood this to be not do not be flirtatious do not speak like a prostitute those are very different things when we're looking at all of these texts the differences of opinion are really regional because when we see the scholars of Morocco one of the qariyas on the app she was sharing with me that she was she mashallah i mean she's uh, she's a she's a quran scholar herself she works with quran scholars and she was telling me that she spoke to senior scholars in morocco about the fact that there was some pushback for the app and they said why would there be pushback for this women recite you know with them women women recite with the men scholars on television in morocco and they were making so much dua that the app would be successful because they didn't understand why anyone would have a problem with women reciting Qur'an. When I told some of the reciters from Nigeria that were having pushback on the app, they said, why? And I said, well, because, you know, we're, we're, women are not supposed to be heard by men. And they said, Who's, who said that? We've never heard that before. And so for me, just seeing the differences in what the scholars are sharing based in region, there are, there are scholars who say that this is haram. And when you look at the proof for what the hurma is, it goes back to preventing fitna. 
the point is, what is the greater fitna right now? Is the greater fitna a man not being able to scroll away or not download the app or walk out of a room? Or is the greater fitna that there are quite literally millions of women who have never heard a woman before reciting the Qur'an, that they have no idea that the Qur'an is for them too? I think we need to re, you know, ask ourselves, what is the greater fitna of our era? And what are we doing to address that greater fitna? Are we continuing to close doors because we're afraid that there could be a man who has access to social media and TV and everything else where he sees women very easily wearing almost nothing, singing about very seductive things. And that's not something we're addressing actively. But if a woman recites the Quran, we're not saying he can just walk out of the room. He can just scroll away. He cannot download the Qariya app. We're saying no woman shouldn't recite the Quran. That's the solution. Again, the app is for women by women. But if a community isn't comfortable with women being heard by men, create alternative spaces. Just create a programming for women by women. And then inshallah, that way we can have women accessing women inshallah. With nearly a quarter of a million followers across social media platforms, Sheikha Maryam is no stranger to using the power of technology to carve a space for female reciters. Two years ago, she launched the hashtag Foremothers campaign, which encouraged women to upload recitations of Juz Amma. As the project grew, it led to the creation of Qariya. The impact on women is clear so far, and it will only continue to empower women to build a relationship with the Quran for generations, inshallah. Qariya is available for free download on Google Play and Apple stores. You can also visit www.qaria.app for more information. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Taysir Podcast, a project out of Taysir Seminary, a full-time Islamic theological seminary in Knoxville, Tennessee. We'd love to hear from you. Feel free to get in touch with questions, comments, whatever's on your mind. Media at taysirseminary.org with special thanks to the faculty, Dr. Hassan Lashib, Ustad Zainab Ansari, and Dr. Michael Dan. And credits go to Sophia Lashib for original score. We'll see you next time. Assalamu alaikum.